Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. today called Identified. We're in week number three. If you haven't been here for the last few weeks, um, the goal of this sermon series is in a world where we currently specifically celebrate, but really all the time, we celebrate our ability to identify ourselves, to say, here's what we are, here's our pronouns, here's my sex, here's all these things. I don't want to allow that mentality to influence your Christianity. And here's what I mean. There's not one verse in the Bible that tells you, make sure you go out and tell everybody what you are. You better tell everybody. You better identify what you are. The Bible is really clear that you should be able to go out into this world and people should be able to identify who you are in Christ. They should be able to see your life. And so instead of saying what you are, I'm going to try to teach you that others should see who you are in Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Acts that Jesus told us this. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're, you're my witnesses. You're going to go to the other ends of the earth, and you're going to preach about the gospel of, of, of what I did, the G, of Jesus Christ. Uh, witness is, is something that we talk about often in church, my witness, my testimony. And I just wanted you to know, your witness and your testimony, not something you preach. It's, it's who you are in your everyday life. And a lot of us lose our witness and our testimony without even knowing it. And so what I want to do is just give you really practical areas of our life that we can show people who we are without even ever saying it. And so we started last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I love it because we call it the love chapter. It talks about love. and you find it in a Bible verse, put it on a coffee mug. I love what Paul's doing, though, because Paul's speaking to a church a lot like our church. You have, you have good stuff. You got good musicians. You got a lot of talent. You, you got... Uh, you got lights, you got good sermons or preaching, you got all those things, you got good kids ministry, you come together, you have a great facility now. He says this, he says, if you have all those things, you have the power of preaching, you have the gift of prophecy, you, 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 you can do all these things for the Lord in my house, but you don't have love, you're a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If you want to make sense to this world, let me show you what, what love is. Love, first one, remember last week, patience. Anybody have your patience tested this week? We talked about it. You're like, oh, right? Like, I'm going to be good at it. And you pulled out of here and somebody cut you off from Journey Church. And you lost your patience. Make going to get tested. We talked about how love is, is patient. Next week, we're going to talk about a good one. Uh, the Bible tells us love, love does not envy. It does not boast. I think Christians have a hard time with this one. You can only talk about one person in your life. You know that, right? You can either make your life about Christ or make it about you. You can't make it about both. That's period. If, you're, if you are talking about yourself, most of the time you're not talking about Jesus. If you're talking about Jesus, most of the time you're not talking about, about yourself. You can't put the 13.3 sticker on your car and the cross on your car, put them together and be like, I live for both, right? Now, it's really clear, but it's hard for us because we, we oftentimes, we like to boast, we like to brag, we like other people to see what we're doing, we like to pat on the back. So I'm going to teach you this concept next week about how love doesn't boast and it is not envious. But today I want to talk to you about the second one I think is maybe the most underappreciated Christian attribute in the world. Something we undervalue, that we don't see the significance of it at, at all. I'll, I'll give you an example. How many of you live in, live in a town that you've lived in for years? Anybody live in a town you've lived in for years? Come on, put your hand up. Own that, right? Anybody live in Bordertown? Live in Bordertown? Been in Bordertown your whole life, right? S some of you still, right? And so, been in Bordertown your whole life. Bordertown, 
you know, has restaurants in there, uh, all that stuff. But uh, like when you talk about a hidden gem or like a hole in the wall that's really good, there's a place in Boyertown called the, the, the Grill Shop. Anybody ever been to the Grill Shop? The Grill Shop is legit. Like if you're going through Boyertown, Pass all the other things, go to the grill shop, right? Stop at Freycon's on the way out, get an apple to, to balance out what you just ate, but go to the grill shop. It's amazing. Uh, when I was in uh, uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, there was a place, Edmond, Oklahoma had every restaurant we could do. We could play a game. You could yell a restaurant, and I would tell you we had it. Like, it, was, it would be, it'd be a fun game. We don't have time for that. And so, uh, but in Edmond, of all the restaurants that they had, they had this one place called Johnny's Hamburgers. It was like this 1960s burger place. It hadn't been clean since 1960. Like, it was... <laughs> But if you wanted a real burger, you weren't there. They, they didn't put a slice of cheese on. They put shredded cheddar cheese that was so high that you had to go see the heart doctor when you were done eating it. So I, every time I go to Oklahoma, I make a 45-minute trip up to the town I used to live in. Specifically, I don't care what new restaurant you have. I go to Johnny's in Phoenixville. You have a whole, a whole city with, uh, with restaurants everywhere, just, just beautiful restaurants and just, you know, good advertisement, outside seating, all these things. I've been here for almost a decade. I'll tell you the best restaurant place to get, a, to, to get something to eat is on the north side of Phoenixville. It's called the Bridge Street Deli. If you grew up in, and like if you, I'm an egg sandwich connoisseur. Anybody else? And like, I'll go there. It literally saves me every time. I give my heart back to the Lord. I thank him for his kindness and goodness. And like, it's just a hole in the wall. It's underappreciated. It doesn't have any advertising. It doesn't have any outdoor seating, right? It doesn't have anywhere to sit it's literally like you're walking into philly like a philly deli but the food is absolutely amazing this is like this like you, you there's other things that get a lot of publicity like there's a, a lot of things that we talk about in church that are like they get a lot of you know feedback and pat on the back and stage time and social media presence these things we talk about that we make important and sometimes what i found is some of the littler things that we don't talk about enough are actually the most significant things so we talk first about how love is patient. If you want to make sense in this world, you want to be identified as a, a Christian, first one, you're going to be patient with people. How are you patient? You understand God's patience with you. You display that to other people. Second thing he says, watch what he says, love is, everybody tell me what it says when they bring it up. Love is, can you bring it up? How'd you know there? Love is kind. Say it like you mean it. Love is kind. Love is kind. If you want to be like Jesus, you're, say, you got to say it like you mean it. You're saying it. Like, you don't mean it, right? Like, I'm just going to do what he asked. We're just going to keep saying, love is what? Right. There you go. There you go. I'll just keep doing it. And so love is, love is, okay, we're done. Lo love is, stop, stop. You just stop right there. Lo love is, in Montgomeryville, love is, love is kind. Here's what I know about kindness. One person said this. He says, kindness has converted more sinners than all the zeal, eloquence, and the learning of the entire Christian church. Kindness. Kindness has the ability to make a difference in somebody's life that has no idea who God is, who Jesus is, what church is all about, who David and Goliath is, who Jonah in the, you know, Jonah in the whale is, who Noah and who built the ark was, who Peter was. They don't know anything about church. Kindness, you notice I didn't say niceness. The Bible says nothing about niceness. Somebody's like, shoo, right, because I'm awful at that, right? Niceness is not rooted in love. Niceness is often rooted in the fear of people. So I'm just going to be nice because I don't want you to not like me. I don't want you to call me a phobic or something like that. So I'm going to be nice to you. The Bible doesn't say niceness. It says kindness. 
Kindness is rooted in love. Love doesn't always feel nice. Have you ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like you love your kids, but sometimes you love them through discipline and that love does not feel nice, right? If you try to be nice to your kids, you end up raising a juvenile delinquent. And can I get an amen, right? Like you are called to discipline them in a kind way. Kindness is all about love, right? He says, love is, is kind. I want to show you this in scripture because oftentimes when we, when we talk about a character in scripture, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I read about people in scripture, I'm like, I'm not even on the same playing field as them. Like, talk about David and Goliath, David killed Goliath. I'm scared of stink bugs. Like, you don't got to kill a nine-foot Goliath, right? Or talk about Daniel. Have you ever read the Bible? This is a verse about, this story about Daniel, and he's a praying man, and, he, and they make a law that's not allowed, to, you're not allowed to pray, you're going to get thrown into the lion's den, and he decides, well, I don't care, I'm going to keep praying, because that's what I always did. And they throw him into the lion's den. Now, most of us are like, we would do that. You wouldn't. Don't lie. I wouldn't, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I've never been put in that situation. Like, I've been, like, you could go to the lions and you read about that. Jonah and the whale, like, Noah you know, and built the ark in the middle of a desert. Like, he, he, most of us would not do that, right? Like, we have a hard time tithing. Might as well put, build an ark in the middle of, of, a, of, of a desert because God said rain is coming eventually. When? I don't know, but it's coming, right? Like, we don't understand uh, Paul and, and Peter and all these guys in Scripture. It feels very different. It feels like they would be on a stage and most of us would be sitting on a, on a, in, in a room somewhere, and it feels like we play differently, like we're on different, different teams. So I like normal people in Scripture. Anybody else? I like when God does or, uses ordinary people in Scripture and uses their life in a way that I can relate to. And that's why I love this story. This, this woman in the Bible, her name is Tabitha. I'm going to introduce you to her in Acts chapter, chapter 9, I believe. Acts chapter, chapter 9. And uh, Tabitha is a very ordinary person. She's not a preacher. She's not a singer. She doesn't have a great social media you know, platform. Um, she didn't, she wasn't an elder of a church. She, she didn't do anything significant that we would think. She's not a, she's not a, you know, a deep theologian that argues, on, you know, on the side of the street. She's, she's none of those things. I want to show you, though, what, what she is in scripture, because it's so impactful. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, I love that when the Bible does stuff like this, by the way. In Greek, her name's Dorcas. Like, why, why do you, 2,000 years later, you want to you you blow her spot up, right? You know what my middle name is? No, I'm not going to tell you because I don't like it. And so, like, it's Christopher, right? Like, let me make sure you know. It's even Christopher. Like, this is, this is what this is doing. Tabitha, but hey, make sure you know when you preach about this in church, her name's Dorcas, right? And so, but I love what it says about Tabitha or Dorcas. The Bible says she was always doing good and helping the poor. No preaching, no singing. No leading classes, no home group, doesn't talk about her prayer life, doesn't talk about, you know, all those spiritual accomplishments we tend to focus on. She speaks in tongues, all these other things, like these things that we tend to make a big deal that, just to be honest, outside in the world, everybody's like, I don't know what, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why you think that's important. I don't get it. And then sometimes, you ever, you ever done this at church, when you step back from church, you're like, I don't know either. I don't know why you make such a big deal of that. Like, I don't know why that was such a, f a focus, but then we leave this place. And, and when we leave this place, it's the whole youth group phenomenon. I used to go on youth group trips all the time, and we would go get filled up with the spirit, right? And we would have all this moment with God's presence, and then we go to McDonald's, and we would completely destroy it on a youth trip, right? And I think people were like, I don't get it. You go to church, and you have all these moments, and the Lord, you know, worship meets you, and you're crying, and you have tissues, and... You know, I was a Pentecostal church, so all sorts of things went down in that church. And then you leave this place, 
and your life isn't any different. What does it say about the life of Tabitha? It says she was always doing good and helping the poor. What's interesting, the Bible says that at this time we meet her, we don't know much about her besides what she did. The Bible says she becomes sick and, and dies, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to get him and urged him, please come at once. So Peter went with them. When he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other uh, clothing that Dorcas, once again, just used Tabitha, that Tabitha had made while she was with them. End of her life. I want you to see is the impact she has. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed, turning towards the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. You ever, even that, like the way we pray in church is so weird sometimes. Like he's by himself. His prayer is simple, simple. Tabitha, get up. Can you imagine if I prayed that? Help them, Lord. It's just simple. We don't do that in church. We're like, I got to come up with a 35-minute <laughs> prayer. In this prayer circle where everybody's already prayed for everything in the world. This woman is dead, and that, listen, that's for your dog having, you know, a stomach issue, right? This lady is dead, and she, he comes up to her, he says, Tabitha, doesn't use Dorcas, because that's what he says, get up. She opens up her eyes, seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet, and he called to the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. I want to show you a few things about her life. We don't know a lot about her. We don't know how she got saved. I can do, my, do, do some educated guessing. She's Greek, we know, because her name was Dorcas. And so uh, we know she didn't know Christ because, you know, in the beginning, because he's, he's a Jewish guy. And so the message of Jesus is spread to the Jewish people first. But then I told you last week there was a persecution, and Stephen gets martyred, and the church spreads out. So we know she's a second wave of believers. We don't know how she meets Jesus and in what situation she was in, but we could just imagine she's Greek. She's a... She's a female. She's grown up in kind of a Greek culture, and, you know, she, we don't know what she is. She might have been a temple prostitute. She, she might have had many relationships with different men. She might have had an, an, an abortion. She might have been a gossiper, right? She, she might have been a liar. She, she, she might have got her identity from the way that guys spoke to her or talked to her. She, she, she might have been a lesbian. We don't know. That, was, that existed all the way back, back then. We don't know what was, what was her current life situation, but we know she meets Jesus, and her life changes. And here, here's what I want you to understand about, about when I talk about kindness. Because oftentimes we'll talk about something, it's like, well, how are we going to implement it? Okay, we're going to start, start a committee. I'm going to give you a list of 10 things you can check off this week. Here's what I want you to look for. Uh, 10 things. We're going to start a committee. Uh, we'll have a class, a kindness class. You'll come in. I'll give you, a, you know, an acronym for kindness and, you know, kick in, you know, something like that. And we'll work it out. We'll teach you kindness. You'll leave this place. And you'll develop kindness because of all the lessons that you've learned and the experiences that you had. And, you know, the sermon that you listened to and here's the problem they did a study on christians that spent a lot of time in church church people and they, they found that church people that spend all sorts of time in church aren't really that kind they're no kinder than anybody else like they don't leave this place and go you know what i should be i should be i should be kind so we would make a mistake if i said well here's a list of things you could do this week to be more kind go to wawa pay for the person behind you but check it out before you do it and make sure they don't have too much because you don't want to break the bank right and so just kind of let that person go ahead of you and you can do, do this when you go to school and you can do that and we try to legislate it hey here's what we're going to do we're going to pass out journey church care shirts uh at next sunday we're going to put them on and we're all going to go down on first friday and we're going to pass out waters bibles and awkwardness on first friday right and we're going to do it we're going to let 
let, you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to legislate thing. And I'm just letting you know, if I saw a bunch of church people coming at me in a t-shirt, I would go the opposite direction. Like, that's just how I, I roll. You don't legislate this. Tabitha didn't go to a class. We don't know her background. We do know her experience, though. What does the Bible say? That she's a disciple of Jesus Christ. That sometimes she converted to Jesus Christ, but she didn't just convert with her hand and her prayer. She allowed him to change her, and she was a completely new person. And because she was a completely new person, the natural step is she was always helping people. It was just a natural thing that she did. In other words, let me just explain this to you, and I've taught you this before. Kindness is what I would call a flow thing. It's not an educated thing. It's not a, I read the Bible thing. It's a flow thing. In other words, God's kindness first flows into your life. I don't know that we appreciate these aspects of God enough in church. Like it, it, I told you last week about patience, but, I, but kindness, I think, is even, is even greater. Uh, because um, oftentimes we read the Bible, and, and God, he was pretty serious with people from time to time. Especially the Old Testament. Like, he, had, he held people accountable. Like, he, there was times he was like, okay, enough's enough. Like, we're going to m- move on. Like, Saul was king, and he just kept not listening to God. And so God was like, you're done being, being king. Like, we don't think that God does that that much. But that, that is, you know, that's love sometimes. For God to say, okay, you, you, you're going to have to live your life in a little bit of discipline. Read Old Testament. We're like, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. But if you get to the New Testament, book of Acts, very close to this story, church is flourishing. Everybody's bringing their possessions. A woman named Ananias and a man and Sapphira, a couple, they, they, they sell their land and they bring some money to the church to help build the church. But they lie about how much profit that they, that they made, which wasn't a big deal. But the problem was they were trying to get the credit, even though they hadn't been as generous as they they said they, they were. And the Bible says that God takes their life. And like this is, like this, we, re, we wrestle with those realities in scripture. But, but I don't think most of us come in here, we're like, I don't know if I should go to church today. I live my life in outright sin today. I, I refuse to obey. I refuse to listen. I refuse to change. I'm, I'm just kind of walking, walking away. I'm growing hard, more hardened in my heart. And I'm going to go to church today and do the church thing and not even thinking about that there's a holy, righteous God going to meet us there. Like th- th- there's a God that's like, we, we don't take this that serious, but this costs his son everything, what we do. Are you, are you tracking with me? The, 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 for the church to be established, Jesus had to come down out of perfection into brokenness and literally lose his his life so that we could have life this is something that he is really serious about yet most of us will go through life and if we're honest we're not disciples like tabitha we're cultural christians and because our life doesn't change and we don't understand the significance of what happens we miss the kindness thing and we try to legislate it in our lives but if we would get the significance of god's kindness that's the beginning of kindness to other people god's kindness flows in to to, to our lives in other words you ever you ever been around teenagers you try to teach them this and and i I was a youth pastor i tried to teach them this now i got teenagers i'm trying to teach my own teenagers this and it goes like this hey listen if you put garbage into your, your your life if you watch garbage guess what comes out of your life we, we know, like, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't think, like, we don't do that enough. Like, we, you know physically, you put McDonald's into your life, what comes out? Your stomach, right? Like, it just, it just comes out, just the way that it, other things come out, too, but we, it's TMI. And so, like, it's just... It, just, it happens. What you put in comes out. And so this is what happens. We put, put in wrong music. We put in wrong, wrong, wrong TV. Garbage c- c- comes out. Same principle for, for kindness. When you allow the Spirit of God to fill you up, the natural thing, it flows in, and, and then, it, then, then it flows out. This is what happens. This is, this is Tabitha to a T. God's kindness flows in. Natural thing. 
kindness flows out into other people's lives. It's a flow thing in, 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 in your life. It pours out in response to God's kindness pouring in. In fact, watch what it says in Galatians 5. I love this. I don't know if you've ever been in church, uh, but in church we'll be like, you shouldn't judge people, right? shouldn't judge each other, like you shouldn't judge a Christian and all this stuff. And I just want you to understand, the Bible never says not to judge each other in church. Are you tracking with me? In fact, it says to hold each other accountable. It's one of those serious things again. Like if you're going to call yourself a Christian and I'm going to call myself a Christian, let's, let's hold each other accountable, right? It doesn't say to judge the world. The Bible says that's God's job. But it is our job in church to hold each other accountable. And so when we say we don't judge each other because you can't tell if somebody's a Christian, that's what church people say that don't know the Bible. Because watch what the Bible says in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit. So the seed of the Spirit is planted in you through salvation. The fruit is what comes out. Watch what it says. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. What does it say right here? Kindness. If you know the Lord and he fills you up, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, against such things there is no law. Kindness is not something we do. Kindness is who we are. And here's what I found. If you have a hard time being kind to others, it's often an indicator that your heart is not at a healthy place with Jesus in your life right now. Let me just give you one more thing. Only two points. Kindness is a flow thing. Second thing is this. Is I want to teach you about why kindness is so important. When, when kindness is flowing right from your life, why is this so important? Why, why, does, it, why does it matter? And he, here's why. Uh, I started thinking about my, my, my life. And uh, when I went to Oklahoma, I was a children's pastor. And the, one of the very first things that I, that I people that I met at, at my church was a, a, a lady named Rhonda who had two completely deaf children uh, in my children's ministry. And she said to me, she said, can you come to a class and learn sign language? And I just wanted to tell her, like, I, I barely passed college. So it's, it's probably not going to be good, but I, I will come. And he, here's why. Those two deaf children that were in, in my, my, my children's ministry, she'd come to first service, right? It was kind of like our first service, less kids. I could do all of the yelling at them that I wanted and preaching, and they would never, never understand because they didn't speak that language. So the responsibility, if I wanted to get to them, was to speak a language that made sense to them. So let me, you can do all the preaching about Jesus with your words to a world that doesn't know Jesus. doesn't make sense doesn't make sense the way you reach a world that doesn't know Jesus is through moments of kindness the moments of kindness so let me just show you what happens in in, in this because I love this what does the Bible say it says in uh, Peter when he sees her and arrives goes upstairs and what does the Bible say happens at her death all the widows all the people that she had made stuff for they presented it to him which is a goal of life at the end of your life all you're going to have is moments of impact and influence through things like kindness no one's going to care about your house, your car, your accomplishments, your, your clothes, your shoes. I mean, God, we spend so much money on shoes now. Everything that we waste our time on, they're going to care about the impact you've made in their lives. And so she was always doing good and always helping the poor. And at the end of her life, what happens? He, they're over her and they're saying, let me show you the impact that she had on, on, on our lives, which is what kindness does. Constant kindness accomplishes more than we could ever understand. In fact, uh, I want to end with, with this. Laura, you can come play, play me out. In Colossians chapter 4 uh, is another passage that, that I've come to love. And, and here's why. Let me just explain it. So in the culture uh, at this time, the, the, the Bible was written to different churches. And so the letters are to different churches uh, in the New Testament specifically. And a lot, of the, a lot of the letters went to churches of cities that were prominent, like just 
just big time cities. Like Corinth was a very prominent city. And so I'm going to just give you kind of a little background. Like if you're not a church planner, maybe some of you will be someday. But I'm a church planner. And so when you plan a church, there's strategy. Uh, there, there, you, want to, you, you want to take a look at the population, the per capita, you know, the, the background. Okay, I'm going to start a church here. Is there going to be success? Is there resources? Is there opportunity for buildings? Is there land? You know, all those things. And when you pick a place that you pick, people will often say they're called. But most of the time, and if I'm being honest, we find somewhere that's going to be easy to plant a church. So if you would say to me right now, if you're going to pick a, a spot that you would love to plant a church, you know, and start all over again, m- most church planters say, I want to go to Philly. Philly has a lot of people, way too many people, right? Like just people everywhere, which is, that's, that's what we're in business doing. And then uh, Philly has a lot of resources, and Philly has a lot of theaters you can rent, and it would be really cool to start a church in Philly. It would be like Corinth. You would start this church. Here's strategy. Here's how you're going to do it. Here's the people you're going to reach. Here's the logo you're going to use, you know, all this other stuff. And so, uh, but if, if you would say to me, where's the place you don't want to start a church, I would say Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And so... And the reason I would say Boyertown is not because I don't love it. It's just such a small place. And it's such a, there's not that many people. And, you know, where are we going to rent? The state theater. Is that even there anymore? And, like, there's just all these things. It would be harder. If God called me to it, I would do it. There's love in my heart for it. But if you gave me the option, I'm going to go to a bigger city. So these letters are a lot of them are written to big cities, right, with, with, with all sorts of influence and all these things. But this one letter is written to the city called Colossae, the letter of Colossians. And Colossae is just, like, city past its prime so to speak you know what i'm talking about like uh phoenixville before the rebirth of bridge street like the one that when the steel mill closed and everybody lost their jobs and it was kind of a shadow of its former self so they start this church in this city and there's not a lot of resources and i, I believe whoever the pastor was probably frustrated what strategy can we take what what can we what can we do how can we reach people can't even get people to come they don't understand what we're doing They don't give, we don't have money, we don't have resources, we don't have enough staff. He's frustrated. And so Paul, being the church planner, sends him a strategy. I love it because I think if you ask me, what is it going to be our strategy moving forward? And in a culture that continues to go farther and farther and farther away from the Lord, what's going to be our strategy? Well, we'll probably be bold, we'll probably be aggressive, probably all those things, but how, we, how do we share that? Like, how do we push that forward in, in a culture that feels like the best days? Like, most, most people, most theologians, most church people say the best days of the church are behind us in America. That's just reality. People don't go to church. They got a million other things. They're cultural. And even the cultural Christians are dying. What do you do? And I love what he says to the church of Colossians. First, he says this. He says, would you pray for me, too, that God may open a door for our message so that you, we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He says, would you pray this for me? I'm, I'm in prison. Would you pray for me? And then he says this. Here's your strategy. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. I love that. Be, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most, this is kindness with legs on it, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. Some of you should write that down somewhere. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. I love that. So that you may know how to answer everyone. I love that, that understanding of salt because oftentimes God uses salt as a representation of what we're supposed to be like in this culture. Because salt is not best explained, it's experience, right? You don't sit a salt shaker down and say, let's talk about this salt. Let me dissect this. This is iodine. You know, I learned this in science class, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like it's whatever on that chart somewhere. And so like, no, you, you go, hey, you want some salt? It makes your food taste better. 
Think about the implications of being salt. If you think about kindness, like if you if, apply that, that lesson, like salt has the ability to do what? First thing, it has the ability to heal, heal people. Like the, I went to the beach one time. I had poison ivy all over my legs. It was like that nasty poison that was scabbed over, pus and all that stuff. Ruined my parents' vacation because that's what kids do on vacation. We're experts at that. And I asked my parents, what should I do? And here's what they told me. We were at the beach. They said, go get in the ocean water. And I said, why? I have scabs. I saw jaws. They'll eat, eat me. Like, and they said, it'll heal. The salt water will heal. It has the ability to, to heal. And I just thought to myself, like, think about the impact of kindness in other people's lives. Think about how many people come and meet a Christian and they don't want to talk to a Christian because they've had a bad experience with a Christian. They've had a bad interaction with the church. They've been told how much God hates them, not how much God loves them or wants to care and change them. Another thing that happens with salt I love is I think salt has the ability, if you think about it, has the ability to melt or soften. I have a water softener in my house right now. We got one a few months ago after my wife had asked for it for almost 15 years. And so we finally got one. She is a salt, a, a, a water softener guru, right? And so she actually can tell if it's not working. Like, she'll tell me, it's salt water, the, the softener's not working. I'm like, did you taste the water? Like, how do you even know? Like, and she told me today, actually, I woke up, we're getting ready to go. She's like, hey, can you check the water softener? And I'm like, for what? She's like, I don't think it's on. I'm like, it's on. I went downstairs. It wasn't. I unplugged it two days ago by accident. And so... But I didn't tell her that because I don't want her to be right. And so, and you just think it has the ability. What it do? softens hearts. You, ever, you read the Bible, it talks about how people get a hardened heart towards God. You know what else it does? It, it creates thirst. It creates thirst. Like, you, and maybe in your old way of life, you can relate to this, this, you know, this example. But you used to go maybe to, to a bar and drink. And uh, at the bar, they would have peanuts or something, something salty there. And it would create thirst. So you would drink more and you would drink more. You would spend more. You would spend more. They would make more money off you. It was that thirst, like this is, kindness creates like this thirst, like I, what's different about your life? I'll end with, with this story, I think it's so interesting, Oftentimes, God will allow you to go through something as you're preparing for a simple message like this, right? And so uh, this week was uh, Harris's last baseball game, the last baseball game, he played on the Pirates, he was under the, on the 9U, they had a solid season, I don't know what their record was, but we all kept score, and so, uh, and they, they had a good season, and then they said at the end of the season, it's a... Uh, we're going to go to Dairy Queen, the last game. Anybody grow up in the 80s and 90s? That's what you did after baseball, right? I was like, thank God everything's not different, right? And so you're going to go to Dairy Queen. And what's interesting about this whole year is I spent a whole year with the same parents. A lot of them know what we do. Like, it's just, it's not hard to figure it out. We don't live in a big town. Like, they'll ask us. I'm a, you know, sometimes I tell them I'm a pastor. Sometimes I don't. I just tell I help people. And so, uh, and so they, they know, though. And not one time, because they knew I was a pastor, did they come up and tell me, can you tell me about your theological beliefs? Can you tell me how Jesus, like, you know, all, all these things you, you want people to ask you so you can tell them, right? Because that's what we do. Not once. Not once do I think I had any type of maybe deep impact on their life besides just trying to interact and have conversations and plant seeds or whatever else like that. But my son went for his last, Harrison went for his last, his last game, the Dairy Queen. And they, they got in line, they ate their food. And they uh, went out to the courtyard, and they sat around a table with their little pirate uniforms on and their hats, and they began to eat their ice cream. And I moved over to the side, and I was talking to the coaches about, you know, life and the, the games and all that thing, thanking them. And all of a sudden, a woman who, who, who we've talked before, and like her kid's on our team, she walks up, and she says, are you Harrison's dad? You ever have somebody ask you that certain kid where they ask you, you're like, I don't know if I want to answer this or not. So I was like, actually, his mom's right over there. And so... 
because I didn't know what she wanted. She said, no, 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 I need to tell you something. I, I, she said, I just want to tell you how impressed I am with your son. I said, oh, it's probably baseball related, right? Like, well, go ahead, tell me. And so she said, no, all the boys are sitting around that table right there. You see them all in their uniforms. And she said, my younger son tried to walk up and sit with them. And everyone on that, on that thing told him, you can't sit with us. You're not on the Pirates. You're not on the Pirates. You're not on the Pirates. You can't sit with them. You're not on the Pirates. She said, but your son, when he was walking away dejected, got off of the bench, put his arm around my son, took his hat off, put his hat on his head, brought him back and said, you can sit with me. You're part of the Pirates. And she said, I just need you to know how impactful that. So my eight-year-old impacted somebody on that baseball team more than this, this, this pastor with his degree from, from Southwestern Assemblies of God University who publicly speaks four times a week, did the entire, the entire season through one act of kindness. I'm just telling you, some of you, you're, you're waiting to be used by God. I got to just use my life, okay? Have some open, open eyes, some open ears, some outstretched hands. Let, let the Lord allow you to see things in your life. Okay, I hear this need. I'm going to go meet it. I'm going to use the gifts that God has given me to meet a need. I'm going to have outside eyes. You know what that means? You're going to start looking outside of yourself. You're not that busy. You're not that stressed. You're not that overwhelmed. You just haven't trusted the Lord. If you would just trust the Lord, he would take care of your life so that you can go be a light to this lost world. It's God's kindness. Kindness flows in. Kindness flows out. And what if we got this? What if in a culture that is growing uh, ever so critical and uh, distant and far, we can either say, oh, it's just, they're too far gone, they're broke, they just don't want God, or we can say, no, no, we're going to allow the kindness of God to be on full display in our lives. We're going to allow the kindness of God for me to show people through my actions, through my words, through my demeanor. What, what, a, what a goal that would be. What impact we would have. What opportunity that we all have this week to be God's hands and feet. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And here's what I want you to do. I don't want to be too churchy. But uh, sometimes with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if we're talking about flowing in, you know, God's, God's kindness flows in. Sometimes it's just about taking it all in. I, I don't really have a better word to think of, but just, just soak it, being still in the presence of God. And just fully being engulfed in an understanding, a deeper understanding of the kindness that God has displayed in your life. Just feel it. The Bible says he's rich in mercy, slow to anger. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve it right now. Like some of us, we should not be in church today. It's just not the way that it works. Like nobody else would do this. You know how awkward it gets when you mess up with an earthly relationship? You don't even want to see them. But somehow we come into this place and we don't feel that awkward tension that you would feel between a, a friend. You, you feel love and acceptance and, and value and grace and mercy and, and kindness. And it's not that God isn't calling you to change. Some of you, you have something going on in your life that it's time to get rid of it. You've been holding on and holding on and holding on. And instead of God saying, you know what, I'm done with you, he continues to fill you with his presence and give you the courage and ask you to take a step of boldness. And it's not that it doesn't ask you to change. And God says, I'm fine with it. But it'll be here in this moment with you. That's kindness. And when you understand that kindness, here's the thing about it. How could you not be kind to other people? 
How could you not outstretch your hands? How could you not open your ears to this lost world? How could you not live your life with outside eyes, seeking to see people like Jesus sees them? How can you not? He fills you up, and naturally what you're filled up with flows out. Please hear me. It's significant. Your witness, your testimony, you allowing the Lord to speak in and through your life, your ability and your decisions to share the gospel message with other people, it's significant. It's the only reason you're on this earth. Why else would you be here? Is there a destination that can fulfill you? Is there a relationship that can sustain you? Is there an accomplishment that can identify you? There's nothing. When you come to Christ and you're saved by grace and you're filled with His power and His presence, the only reason He leaves you on this earth is to go share that message with other people. But what if we make it difficult? More difficult than it has to be. What if we just said, God, I want to display your kindness to other people. This week at that store, that waitress, that waiter, that school teacher, that classmate, that co-worker, that boss, everybody I come into contact with, that neighbor that constantly drives me crazy, I'm going to display your kindness. Some of you in this place, as you, you pray, you don't understand the significance of that kindness because you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's a kind God, never giving up, never running never being done with you, never quitting on you, and He's here. And I know He loves you because He gave up His life for you. You don't lay down your life for somebody you don't love. The Bible says that He was put on a cross. He was tortured. He died there. His blood shed. He did that as a sacrifice, the new covenant. A new relationship. The Bible says, but he was placed in a tomb, and the story should have been over. But I love the gospel message because the Bible says on the third day he rose in power. When he rose in power, he defeated both death and hell. And the Bible says now that anybody who calls on him shall be saved. Anyone. Young, old, been, been far away from God, come into this place with all sorts of baggage and pain and hurt and anger. It's God's kindness in your life that's going to lead you to repentance. And he's here. And I want to pray with you as we close, with every head bowed and every eye closed, both here in Montgomeryville. If you would say, hey, you're speaking to me. I need the kindness of God to come into my life. I want a relationship with Jesus right now in this moment. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. The only thing I want you to do when I ask you if that's you in a second, with nobody looking around, I just want you to shoot your hand straight in the air. And that's just a, a step of courage and a signal between you and God that Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life right now. He's going to come into my life. I need him to save me and set me free. I need him to heal me and make me whole. So come on all over this place. If you would say, hey, that's me in Montgomeryville. If you would say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. Don't worry about the person to your right or left. It's just between you and God. He's speaking to you right now. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Would you shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I need Jesus to come into my life. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? I need him to heal me and make me whole. If you're in Fe Montgomeryville, would you just keep your hand held high so they can let me know all the way here in Phoenixville. But anybody else who would say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I want Jesus to come into my life. Let's begin to pray all over this house. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this day, and we thank you for all that you've done. I thank you, Lord, for the simple challenge, Lord, that we can display what you've done in us uh, by, by being kind and allowing kindness to be displayed through us, Lord. 
So Lord, we're going to do that. But Lord, but first we're going to start by being filled to the absolute uttermost in our lives with your kindness. God, give us eyes to even comprehend and a mind to understand that, Lord, and see that. Lord, would you, would you just allow us to feel and embrace that truth in our, in our spirit, Lord. And as you fill us up, Lord, the natural thing is it's going to flow through us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your kindness that's being displayed to us right here in this moment as those that don't know you, that haven't experienced you, that come to this place broken and in a mess and maybe filled with rebellion that your kindness is saving them right now. Your kindness is healing them. Your kindness is making them whole. So, Jesus, the prayer is simple. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be the forgiver of my sins. Jesus, you can set me free. You can heal me. And Jesus, I believe you're going to make me whole. And I thank you, Lord, that the Bible promises that when they leave this place, that they'll be a brand new person because they put their faith, their hope, and their trust in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done here today and all that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.